0: Well, good morning and uh, and lord's blessing to you it's been uh, it's been wonderful to be here God is powerful and wonderful glorious and guiding purposeful directing i'm going to invite everyone to stand let's go before him and uh, pray that the Lord will turn our hearts open by the Holy Spirit to what he has for each of us this day Father God we thank you again for the privilege of being here being able to hear songs of glorious praise unto your son lifting him up high and and God reminded again of your purposefulness, Lord, and the desire and the longing and the commitment that you have to your children. And God, we submit ourselves to you in a fresh, new way in the midst of this service, Lord, and all of the things that you are bringing to our hearts, bringing to our minds, bringing to our spirits, Lord, that we may follow after you no matter what the cost, no matter what it means. And no matter where it leads, oh God. Father, we pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit to be placed within us. Lord, that we will have conviction. That we will have direction. And we will have humility, Lord. And submission unto you and to one another, Lord. Father, again, we submit ourselves unto you. And we ask, God, show yourself mighty. That we may know you. And, Father, that we may follow after you in the power of the resurrection and in fellowship with your suffering. God, that we may be next to you and hear your heartbeat. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Lord bless you as you are seated. I thank you for the privilege of being able to come and to open God's word. And I do want to speak on nonconformity. if I was I was thinking back, I said to my wife now, okay, I think this would be the third time that I've had the, the blessing and privilege of, of teaching here. And I believe the first time we talked about the wedding bands, and the second time we talked about um, relativism. And uh, and so now this time, as, as the Lord has led, I believe I would like to talk about nonconformity, and we are not going to hit all of the importance on the issue, but I pray to God we'll hit the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue behind what drives God's people. You know, there's always, there's always this, this external pressure to conform. The world is always pressing us. And even within the church, there is a pressure, and sometimes we call it a peer pressure. And that is not a bad thing, but it will not be a lasting thing if we have not the heart after the things of God ourselves. So, there is always this, this battle between God's culture, God's people, and, and, of course, the Word of God seeking to transform our hearts. Ultimately, there are two things, I believe, that God desires for us. In the way in which we respond to God's truth. The first is, is to stand together as a body. And the second is to also be able to stand alone for His truth, if need be. And God, in His wisdom, puts those two desires together. The greatest strength of a body is when people, all of us, willing to stand for God, stand together with God. And that is the unity of the Spirit if we are being led by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and the process of learning is, is ongoing. We are in a process and a journey of, of constantly learning the heartbeat of God. Again, the church gives us an example and godly people give us examples. But again, the Spirit and the Word of God primarily is seeking to build our heart conviction in those exact areas ourselves, that we may be influencers and encouragers in the things that bring God pleasure, the things that honor Him most. Very important indeed. If you have your Bible, I would like you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 5 and look just at... I'm really interested in just one word in uh, in this passage. And... Uh, I realize there's great risk in only pulling out one word of taking things out of context but that's okay. I want to I want us just to look at Enoch. There was something that happened in Enoch's life. We know, well, uh, again, I'll wait uh I'll wait till you get there in Genesis chapter 5 if you would go with me down to verse 21. Little bit of context, but it's the first word in verse 22 that I would like to look at. But in verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now, we know Methuselah was the oldest living recorded person. And, and he became okay, became the father of Methuselah. And then verse 22, it says, then, then Enoch walked with God. Then Enoch walked with God. Very interesting word. Then. There was something that happened in Enoch's life. That created a then experience for him. We know that it had to do with a spiritual then. Because when you read down a little bit further you get some context. And I'll let you do that later. But then Enoch walked with God. When we look back on our journeys. If we've been walking in the Lord in any period of time. We have then experiences that tweak or change or radically move us. In the ways of God. Then places. It's part of our testimony. It's not always just one then though there are multiple uh then experiences sometimes they are large and sometimes they are subtle and yet they're so powerfully being directed powerfully in our lives by the Holy Spirit by the power of God. Now I don't know if you follow science and I'm not one much for that but I did uh, come across something that caught my attention and apparently uh NASA I believe it is NASA and somebody might have more details you can you can you can uh help maybe uh re- refine it A little bit better but for about 10 years there's a some sort of probe that's been chasing an asteroid well it's not chasing it we're causing it to chase it it's going after an asteroid and i know that we have landed on asteroids already i say we meaning probes we have sent probes to land on asteroids but apparently this one is is something very uh unique because it's 10 years this thing has been chasing this asteroid which has a name through the universe and every time gravitational pull comes it veers off it's spinning and, of course, every time it comes near a, a mass, I'm not trying to do a science lesson, but, you know, it begins to pull it this way and it begins to pull it that way. And and this probe has been, has been chasing this thing for 10 years. And if I understood it right, it's just about ready to land on this thing, finally. I just can't imagine if they did, you know, a fast speed of what this thing looked like, trying to catch up to an asteroid. Now, you know, the amazing thing about this uh, process is that I read that, that this astro, or asteroid, excuse me, this probe receives over a hundred corrections per second. Now I don't even know how that's possible. Now not all of them have to totally correct the probe as it's traveling through space, but but it's making sure it's on the right track. And in some circumstances, it is actually tweaking and changing it. And you know I realize we're not probes, but. That God speaks to us constantly as we seek to live out after Christ, and especially as we're 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 leaving our old ways, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the truth of God's Word, we're chasing after the heart of God. And as we're chasing after that, the Spirit speaks here, and the Word of God, which is our primary source, speaks here and here and here in our devotions. It opens our eyes, and in the time of uh, sharing together as brothers within the congregation, sometimes it's in things that. God sovereignly draws out, and it. It, it keeps moving and tweaking our hearts as we chase after God's heart. And so, in the situation here with, with Enoch, you know, we get an opportunity to see a major correction that God brought in his life, probably through the naming of his son, son Methuselah, because it, uh, it there's a couple ways of translating it, but it, when he dies, it shall come. When he dies, it shall be. And we know that when Methuselah died, the flood came about within that, at least that year. And so I don't know if we, we all need an experience like that where we have a reality check, but for Enoch, all of a sudden right there, then Enoch walked with God. What is your journey this morning? What is your, what is your focus as you chase after the heart of God? You know, the doctrines of God do not change in a way but not perfectly, kind of like the asteroid that this probe has been chasing for ten years. They know its content of ice. They know the basic pattern it's doing. It's traveling through space. They know the basic speed in which it is going. And, you know, when it comes to the doctrines of Christ, they do not change either. He is what He is. He is the I Am. But when it comes to us walking after His heart, we need those other things in our lives to direct us, to humble us, to break us, to encourage us, right? And as we hone in on God, as we stay close to Him, all of those things are meant for us to receive so that we can become more like Jesus, to walk after Him, to transition from religion to relationship, to transition from compliance to conviction, to transition from holding back to holiness, to transition from Daddy's faith to my faith as God works His work in our lives. What is the heartbeat of nonconformity? What does that look like and how could you ever get to the subject in an hour? Again, I know we're not going to get totally there, but about ten years ago, a church had asked me to come and speak and asked me to speak on this exact thing and that was my response. And you want that in an hour? And they said, yes. So, I don't hope to give it all to you here, but may God give us a sensitive spirit to what He has for us on our journey. For some of us, for some of us, each sermon, how should I say, my desire, let me back this up, is that this message this morning, at very minimum, will be a confirmation to the workings of God as you chase after His heart. But also, my desire is, Is if somewhere along the way you have lost your way and you're in in a place of conforming and not conviction, that God will do a then in your life. That God will speak to you and build something that changes for you. And that is the blessing of the journey of walking together. So if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as we talk about nonconformity. Of course, this comes to, to view, Romans 12 uh, verses one and two. Now, those of you that know a little bit about my journey, my wife's journey, we all have a testimony, but I come from, I come from non-Christian background, and I was raised atheist. My wife was raised Catholic. And, um, and God has us on a journey. God has made some radical then things in our lives, and, and sometimes we've missed it, and then He's had to say then, 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 then to get us back on where we need to be. And that is the love and the correction of God, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And, uh, but you know, when we, when we came into, you know, the whole idea of living for Jesus, we understood. But when we came into the Mennonite, uh, Anabaptist culture, the idea or the term nonconformity was something that we wouldn't have coined or known that way. And so the question was, well, what exactly is nonconformity? And it was very interesting, as we didn't just slice one piece of the pie, but heard from many different avenues what that looked like. Boy, our heads were spinning. (laughs) But what is it that God is after, right? So in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is nonconformity? If I were to ask, what would you give to me as an answer to nonconformity? Well, you know, we had some questions early on in our journey. And, and we, we would have, in one way or another, asked these questions of folks. And we asked, not in challenge, sometimes maybe, but hopefully not. But mostly in trying to understand, is nonconformity found in a plain suit? Is nonconformity found in the cape dress? Is nonconformity found by the veil upon the head? I appreciated the children's lesson today. Is nonconformity found in the peace beard? Or is nonconformity found in not allowing any beer? Is it found in the patterns of dresses and the patterns of shirts? Is nonconformity found in the plainness of our homes or in the color of our cars? Where do I find this nonconformity? Or is it found in not having a car at all? Where, where do I attach myself to this? Is nonconformity discovered in not carrying insurance? Is it found by not working on Sundays? Maybe it's found in homeschooling only. Or is it in schooling only till the eighth grade that we find nonconformity? Is nonconformity found by embracing the doctrine of non-accumulation? Is nonconformity found only here? What's nonconformity? What does it look like? Is it found in making sure that we tithe way beyond what we should, or or is it found in being Anabaptist? What is it? These are good questions for us to wrestle with because if we are going to be the influencers in the world for Jesus Christ, we need to have answers, right? What does it look like? I have come to a conclusion, but you'll have to hear my heart a little bit. Nonconformity does not exist. Nonconformity is a byproduct of something else. Nonconformity actually doesn't exist. It is a byproduct of something else. Walk with me if you would as we just skim like a stone upon the water of God's sovereignty. Turn with me if you would to Luke chapter 16. What is this thing, this heart of God? Young people, and it's not just you young people, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this. Young people, what does your heart long for? Where are you facing? What direction are you longing? Us older ones, men and women, what is it that we desire? What is it that our children see in our lives? What is the byproduct flowing out of us being focused on the kingdom? Oh, God, give us your heart. In Luke 16, going down and starting at verse 19. I have to get there myself. I'm in John. See, that's what happens when you talk too much. You just go to the wrong spot. There we go. Luke 16. The prodigal son. Or am I in the right spot? No, I am not. Yes. Okay. Starting at verse 19. The rich man and Lazarus. That's where I'm trying to get to. Sorry. This is such a powerful scripture of aligning things to where they need to be in reality. So most of us know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And let's start at verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, who laid at his gate covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in this place. Really interesting that the rich man still saw himself superior to Lazarus. He, even in this scenario, his his mindset of who he was and what he did is just amazing. But then we start getting into something really, really important for us today. Look at what Abraham responds here as he lays out the truth of the situation in verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now his being, "...being comforted here, and you are in agony, and besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come from, from here to you will not be able, and none may cross over from there to us." And he said, "...then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment." Look at his response. But Abraham said... They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They've got the Word of God. Let them hear them. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have something far greater in our midst than just Moses and the prophets. We have the rest of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to direct our hearts to land right on God's heart. If we are receiving from Him and hearing from Him, and, and perceiving God's radical call to obedience from the heart. Look at the rich man's response. But he said in verse 30, But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone were to rise from the dead. Wow! How powerful, how wonderful is this Word that God has given unto us. Dear brothers and sisters, as you journey for the Lord, we must be students of God's Word. Not casually, but because we hunger and thirst after righteousness with all that's in our souls. Chasing that asteroid. Chasing it with all that we have. Oh, God, help me to have your heart. A word, a scripture, a truth, an encouragement, a correction, piece by piece as we journey after the God who is unmovable. This is it right here. The beauty of God's word and obedience. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. There is nothing that is going to move our hearts to radical obedience to Christ and His ways if it is not the Word of God. It will not be a sermon. It will not be a series. It will not be a book. It will not be something somewhere else. All that we need is right here. Are you all with me? Amen! Everything and a heart that says, not only do I want to read it and understand it, I want to live it out. That's nonconformity. conformity No. That's the, that's the basis in which nonconformity happens. To follow after Jesus Christ to the exclusion of all things, all other things for God. Nonconformity does not exist, it is a byproduct. It is a byproduct of embracing the kingdom of God. I'm hoping you can follow me here, but. As soon as we try to embrace the byproduct of nonconformity, we have automatically turned it into religion. Are you hearing me? As soon as we try to embrace nonconformity, we have automatically turned it into religion. I don't do this. I don't do this. I would never do that. I won't do this. I can't do that. I wish I could, but I can't. The church says I can't. I can't do this. I can't do it that way. I can only go this far. And as soon as we start that mindset, we have become the very things that we have not wanted to be. The difficulty is is that, does that mean we don't set standards or have expectations until all of a sudden our heart catches up? It is not either or, it's this and that together. God expects us to grow up in respect to salvation, right? And that's why we need to chase the asteroid of God's heart. We need to be running after it. And, and grabbing a hold of Him and making sure that we're doing what's right. If I had a, if I had an example, well I don't have any, if I had an illustration to grab a hold of a bunch of pillows maybe, maybe if somebody were up here giving me a pile of pillows and we could see how many, maybe you did something fun like this on the Father-Son retreat where you did something that you knew you couldn't keep up with. So the challenge was to try to balance it. But if I I was given a bunch of boxes and boxes and carrying these boxes and have all these boxes, then the the funny part would be as the boxes start getting really high and they begin to tumble around, how long could I hold on to these things? Now, if I grab a hold of this and I'm carrying it and somebody comes from over here and they say, hey, Rex, would you do me a favor? Would you would you grab a hold of this? I'm going to say the only way I can grab a hold of that is by letting go of all of this. Sorry, I can't help you. That's not conformity." It's when the world comes and says, you want to be involved in this organized morning event? You want to oversee this thing? You want to go and do this? You want to be part of this? You want to save up for that? You want to do this? And we're over here holding on to God's kingdom, saying, I'm sorry, but i got God's heart right here. I just don't have the time. It's a byproduct. It is not our primary badge of identification. That's what religion has done a good job at. I don't, I don't, and I don't. But I wish I could maybe. But I won't say it because I'm supposed to say I don't. That is not sustainable. This over here of grabbing a hold of God's kingdom—it is sustainable. It is real and it is joyous. It is a blessing. It is God's heartbeat. It is good. Second, I need you to walk with me just a little bit to hear this because you can misunderstand. Oh, I need to stay back here. You can misunderstand me a little bit. But I want to hit this right where God's heartbeat is. If, if the Lord will give me grace to explain it the right way. Nonconformity. Now, let me say it this way. Being labeled conservative or being labeled liberal has nothing to do with biblical nonconformity. Well, oh, where's he going to go with this, right? You can't be conservative enough. To really be nonconformed in a biblical way. Do you know that? Because it comes out of the heart. It comes out of a relationship. It comes out of realness with God. We cannot be conservative enough to get us there. And we can't be liberal enough to get us there either. I want to just, I want you to walk with me. Turn with me to Matthew 23. The Pharisees did an incredible job at doing everything they could to make themselves conservative enough to look like they were non to every other people group, even some of their own. And Jesus got right to the heart of it. Jesus said, you will not be conservative enough to be right with God. And in Matthew 23, and we know... Jesus uh, really, really smokes hypocrisy and religion in Matthew 23. And then, of course, in Matthew 24, he begins to talk about the end of all things. But if you go down with me to verse 23, I think we'll start there. Let me see. He really hits on something here. Now, I said you're going to have to pause with me a tad because I am not in any way trying to say that when we follow after God's heart completely, That we will not walk in a way that is careful. The biblical model is all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Therefore, I will not become enslaved to any. It's going beyond all that we can for His glory. Not to hit the minimums of the expectations of our local congregation. We should be exceeding that way beyond that. Unless John's going to correct me when he comes up. And that's alright, I would receive it. Standards are not for the godly who are chasing after the heart of God. They are those that are not mature yet. It is for them to help encourage while they find their way. It is a loving gesture. It is not a demarcation of the edge of where we should be in all things. Anyway, in Matthew 23, verse starting at verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you neglect the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the other. Jesus is going right for the things that come out of the heart. You blind guides who strain out the gnats and swallow the camel. Now look at what he's about to say. Oh, God, convict us. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside. Here it is. Here it is. Look. I mean, don't look at me. Sorry. Look at the Scripture. Look at this. First clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Right there. It's like quantum physics. It's gone. There it is. Right there. That's nonconformity. Right there. Cleaning the inside of the cup then the outside will become clean also. Right there, there's non-conformity. It's a byproduct. It's awesome and it's powerful and it's godly and it's humbling. And it's very, very precious to God. It's things that happen that nobody else sees. At least not right away. It's not done for men. It's done for our Lord and the relationship that we have to Him. It's done in that intimate place with our God. It happens even in young children. It happens as they do something And they do it for the honor of the Lord. And they and they give their hearts to something. And there's a byproduct there sometimes that you cannot even grab a hold of. But our God sees it in secret. Are you following what I'm saying? Our God is a God of relationship who calls His children to Himself. And in that place of calling, there are lots of things that take their place. And they are so beautiful and deep and real i made up the story of a grandfather who was raised very conservative in our anabaptist circles and a grandson who had drifted away from not drifted away completely but his heart had drifted away and maybe through through the grandfather's son and and then so the progression goes you know our fear our fear is as well if we do that then what will the next generation race? I'm not sure where that comes from i'm going to be honest with you you could correct me i will receive it i don't know where that where does that myth come from Generation, grab a hold of Jesus and show the generation before you what holiness looks like. Why do we have to be the product of the drift of our fathers? Why can't we be the anchor of God's heartbeat to our generation? The influencers. Not the ones afraid of influence. But you have to have God. You have to have a relationship. You have to have a walk with the Lord. He will protect His people children, young young adults and children, you are being called. You're being called to follow God above all else. In that place, the Lord will bless you with strength and wisdom and power through His Word. So back to my story. So, the grandfather had a burden on his heart for his grandson, his one grandson in particular. And so... All of the things motivating that burden we cannot say, but one of the, one of the avenues in which an issue came to the grandfather was through someone in his own conservative church and, and when he came to him he said, I've heard that your grandson, Adam, I'm just making the name up, is involved in, in organized sporting events and I'm coming to you to see if that's true. Now the grandfather who really didn't seek out his grandson's heart to any major degree, any other time, all of a sudden feels a burden that he will have to go talk to his grandson. So he says, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know that I believe that Adam would do such a thing. But I will, I will look into it. And out of that burden, the grandfather begins to look for that time. It doesn't quite naturally come. He hears through someone else that it may be happening. And his grandfather says, I'm going to need to make a call. So he calls him and he says, Adam, can we get together? He says, sure, Grandpa. And so they get together. And in an awkward moment, the grandfather begins to share with his son, a grandson. He said, you know, I, I, I noticed that you really like sports. Oh, yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. It's just for recreation as well. I'm hearing more and more that you're getting involved. And don't I'm not making a stance here this morning. I don't support organized sports, okay, involvement. But I'm more concerned about the heart that drives us one way or another. That's what I'm really after this morning, okay? This is just an example. Well, I hear that you're involved in organized sports, and he said, well, yeah, it's just for recreation, it's something fun. He goes, well, I, I, you know, throughout, throughout all of our history, you know, we've stayed away from organized sports, and I, I guess I'm feeling a burden for you. And, uh, the grandson, who was, was basically an adult, he said, well, grandpa, I understand, I mean, that you appreciate your heart for me, but what is it that's the concern? And he begins to share with him. And what the grandson is hearing is, religion, religion, religion. Well, your great-grandfather and my great-grandfather and our heritage and all that's good. But and he begins to share all these things with him. And then finally he said, but Grandpa, where is it in the Bible that says we can't do that? And he says, well, love not the world, nor the things therein. And, and the grandson paused a moment Remember, he was an adult and he said, Grandpa, with all due respect, may I speak my heart to you? And He said, yes. He goes, of all of our relatives, you are the wealthiest among all of us. We know that you have a place in Florida. We know that you travel wherever you wish. You buy almost anything you want, although you dress plainly. Grandpa, I'm asking you, are you saying you are an example of what it means to not love the world, nor the things thereof? See, in this circumstance, both of these men need revival. Neither one is living for Jesus Christ. Neither one is embracing the kingdom of God. They're just arguing about how they should paint the outside of their cup, which is full of death. Are you hearing what I'm sharing this morning? We need revival. We need what's real. We need the byproduct. Because we're grabbing a hold of the source. We need God. We need a culture within ourselves that chases after God and listens and tweaks and moves. We will not preserve the next generation through religion. In fact, it's not even designed that way. And I'm not saying that's what anybody here is trying to do. But it is the default, you know. It is the default. Well, I'm the dad and that's how it should be. And then once they get to a certain age, well, that's the way it should be. (laughs) Then we can say, well, the church says that's the way it should be. You know what? What is it God says? God, walking after you. God is calling all of us, not just young children, not just young adults. You know, there's a time and a place for God to speak into us. I appreciate the newness when God begins to work in the heart of young people and they give their hearts to the Lord in a fresh new way. God tweaks their, their, their honing in on Him, and it's beautiful. But moms and dads, men and women, can I just be honest? We need a fresh new start with God, too. We need a brand new direction. What does it mean to love not the world, nor the things therein? Does it mean a brother's meeting where we have to talk about where we're going to set the boundary marker? Uh, I don't. I've never been to your men's meetings. Maybe... Is that what revival looks like? No, it looks like a people who say, God, wherever you lead, whatever it means, whatever the sacrifice, God, here I am. Show me your way. Help me walk with my brothers. Let me walk with my sisters. Let's discern your heart together. Fathers and moms, are we sharing the right example of what nonconformity looks like? I know I fall short. But I don't want to continue to fall short. I want to redirect by the Holy Spirit to hone in on God's heartbeat. It is a blessing. Next point is abstaining from the world. It's kind of on the same lines. Abstaining from the world does not mean that we love not the world. Right? That's that checklist piece. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke 15. Let's go there. When you're talking to someone from my background out of the world... And they say, why do you live the way you do? Do you know what God's desired response is? I don't mean just one you read off of, but, but out of your heart. Because I want to live as far away from the way the world lives as possible to honor my God. And whatever that looks like, that's where I want to be. And it come out of the out of the wellspring of our hearts. Luke 15, go down, if you would, to verse, let me see here. Verse 11, we know the story of the prodigal son. The statement I made was, is abstaining from the world does not mean that we, we do not love the world. So amazing, this story of the prodigal son. And uh, verse 11 says, and he said, a man had two sons. And we all know this story, we know it well, right? So I want to I want to bring us down a little bit. We know the story. The son was looking outward. Finally, he gets to a place where he says, "Dad, I want my money. I want to go." And he begins to set his journey. And then, if you go down to verse 16, we know this part as well. But I'd like to draw I'd like to draw our attention to it. Verse 16 says, "And he would have uh, he would have gladly filled his stomach, memory without feeding the pigs, with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses." He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread and I am dying here of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. Now, I want to share just something about this again. And we could look into it. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to skim here a little bit. And young people, and as I look to, you know, okay, so my wife and I come from the world. We had a radical experience. It's all real. I have seven children being raised, hopefully in a godly home. That's my desire. And as they walk through a journey, you know, their, their steps are very different than how mine was. I guarantee you that. And I want them to have that. I want them to have the life that they now have. But they need to find Jesus Christ in the same way that I did, right? I believe that we're probably mixed here from what our backgrounds were like. And so I want to share this whole thing that not doing the things of the world does not mean we don't love the world. This son, when he was in his father's house, he was gazing outward. He was looking out. He wore the father's clothes. He ate the father's food. Right? He heard the father's teaching. He sat under his father's care. He saw the dealings of his father. And the whole time, he was looking out. One thing that shakes my heart is with you young folks, it's not just you, I'm not trying to single you out, but I'm not trying to exclude you. Are there any here who are dressing And eating and conforming the way in which you know you should. But you're really longing out that window for something else. You can abstain from every worldly practice and be no more close to the heart of God. God wants to do something different. And then in verse 16 we see something radically shift. The prodigal son had a then experience just like Enoch. He was down there, and he was like, I am so hungry, I need to eat this pig slop. And all of a sudden, it came to his heart, what in the world am I doing? What in the world am I doing? What am I doing? And all of a sudden, the one who was looking right, looking out, went out to where he thought it was good. And then God did a miracle in his life, and all of a sudden, he looked back to the Father's house, and even though he was in the world, he was longing for the Father. The heart makes a huge difference. But just what we do on the outside doesn't mean it reflects the heart. It can, and it will at times. But I'm here to break the myth. Brothers and sisters, you cannot look yourself into holiness. You cannot abstain yourself into holiness. You must find Christ who makes us holy. All of us. And we, sometimes we get on the course of the, of the asteroid, right? But we need to be tweaked and moved and corrected. Sometimes we lose our way. The reason why NASA sends out a hundred directives a second is because when you're dealing at speeds like that, one small twist in the wrong direction can send you light years out of, out of, uh, out of your target. And God has given us everything that we need for righteousness and holiness, everything to keep us on course if our hearts are receiving the right messages. Brothers and sisters, young young adults in particular, receive the message from God. Receive it. Receive it with joy because He loves you and He has His intentions set on you. Oh, His desire is for you. The direction of our heart will speak volumes of where we go. But what we currently look like in the moment may not be the best indicator. But God doesn't want it to be this or that. God wants it to be this and that together. Huh? I made a statement that somebody said that is very controversial. So I'm going to share it with you and you can tell me the same. There's only one thing worse. Ooh. Y'all, I think you know I'm prophetic by nature, right? There's only one thing worse than a dead conservative Anabaptist. And that's a worldly one. We need revival! We need something that's bigger than our culture. And God will continue to bring us there as we keep focusing on Him and focusing on Him. Lord God, give us Your heart. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm winding down. And I thank You so much for hearing me and hopefully lending me grace as I share the Lord's heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3. A powerful portion of scripture about the last days and what relationships will look like. I had a beautiful privilege last weekend to, to preach at Penn Valley at the uh, Broken Home Seminar. And, uh, it was mostly, mostly ladies there from, from all different backgrounds. Uh, but I will tell you this. I don't, uh, I, I, th- I hope by, by the grace of the Lord next year, I can tell them how much they ministered to me as I sought to minister to them. One of the things that their relationship issues reflects is the end time spirit. Many times we don't look at it like that, but it says in Matthew 24, it talks about that people will give uh, one another over and they will be offended by one another and the love of many shall wax cold. It is, it is part of being in the end times that they walk through these, these difficulties, these circumstances that are against the will of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, it talks about a lot of that as well. It says, in the last days, and it begins to give you a whole list of interpersonal issues that will be reflected in that time. And then it says, they will have a form of godliness, but they will have denied its power. There is is not the ability to put on the act. And that's exactly what we're talking about. There is not the power to keep up with the act that we put on on the outside when we don't have the real thing. When our children don't have the real thing. When our relationships don't have the real thing. It is only so long without the power of God that we can continue to point on the front on this side until it begins to break down. And so after Paul writes about this to Timothy, he goes down and in verses 20 and 21, and I'm, I'm really skimming across some, maybe if it's in your heart. Oh, wait a minute. I, I went in the wrong spot today. Second Timothy chapter 3. Hold on. Oh, I missed it. I've missed my spot. Ah. Oh. Well, I already shared with you what I was going to share right there. I'm sorry. But turn with me now, if you would, to Matthew 19 as I close out. Ah, oh, I shared exactly what I was going to read. Turn with me to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, <clears throat> the rich young ruler. And I do want to draw two things here as I, as I pull this to a close, to this whole place of the byproduct being nonconformity, but the primary focus being Christ and his kingdom. And if we start in verse 16, we see the story we know so well. And it says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And I do want to pause right here because as a prophetic person, and with more of a gifting towards evangelism, I need to make sure in my heart and conscience that I lay before you today a decision point for you, that you may be sure in your conscience that you have picked up the right one. This man had done everything needed to be in right standing with everyone around him, and yet his heart was being stirred to something deeper. If you are in that place, whether you're an adult or a young person, it doesn't matter. You're doing all that you think you should, or maybe you know you're not doing all you should, but in your heart, you are being stirred like this man to say, What do I still lack? I want to tell you something right now. What you lack, Jesus can give to you if you turn your heart towards Him. Satan likes to take that point right there and twist it and say, Maybe if I get away from this, I'll be closer to Jesus. Maybe if I get closer to this, I'll be closer to Jesus. I just want to tell you, whatever you lack this morning, dear brother and dear sister, whatever you lack is right here for you. But this man did not respond well to that stirring in his spirit. And let's look and see. Verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, look what he says. Go and sell all your possessions And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come. And that word follow means be with. And come be with me. Let go of this. And come be with me. Come be with me. Verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement. He went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. Boy, he was probably a good steward. He was probably did it in a way that looked really good. But you know what? In that particular circumstance for that man, that was keeping him from being with Jesus. Whatever it is that keeps us from being with Jesus has got to go. Right? No matter what it is, no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, no matter what the sacrifice, it's got to go. Oh, it didn't work for him though. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. They were amazed. And they said, Who can be saved? Now, they had an Old Testament mindset that wealth was a, a sure sign of God's blessing on a man. And, and they would have been right. But Jesus was taking this whole thing and, and putting it on its ear. And saying, uh-uh. It's no longer what you look like out here anymore, folks. It's about what's going on over here with me. That's what he's saying. And he's killing just one of the many, uh, what's the idea, prejudices or, or religious mindsets. He's breaking them and shattering them. But there's something so beautiful as a backdrop right here. Something beautiful. And this is what I want to end with this morning, scripture-wise, as I draw this to a close. Go down, if you would, and look at verse 27. Oh, look at the contrast of Peter. And Peter says something astonishing. Peter says to him, Behold, we have left what? We have left all. We have already left all to follow you. Behold the difference between a believer and a disciple. Behold the difference between someone who has a conviction to do what the church tells them to do and someone who has a conviction for God. Behold the difference. Because one will bottom out and the other one will continue to follow the heart of God no matter where it leads and what it means. I have forsaken all to follow you. Where does God find your heart this morning? I remember the beautiful story of a little girl who went out and picked a beautiful flower and, of course, we see that with our little ones. They come in with these weeds with little flowers on them. And then when the nice flowers come in, they come in with the flowers. But the story was of a little girl. And she had this flower. And, and she looked at it and wanted it for herself. It was so beautiful. And she thought of her mother, her lovely mother. And then she, she thought of herself. And she looked for another flower that she may pick one for her mom. And she said, well, this is the only one I can find. I certainly am not wrong to keep it for myself. And so she kept it, but she kept thinking of her lovely mother. And so she she decided, I know what I will do. And she took a few of the petals off of the flower. And she went into her mom and said, Mom, I want to share this with you, with the flower here and the petals there. And the mother said, Thank you for giving me your heart. And he, she laid them there. And then a little while later, a little girl was looking at the flower, and she pulled off a few more and went in and said, Mom, I want to share this with you. I want to give you this here. And she said, Thank you, dear. Anyway, the little girl did it again until there was nothing left but a stem and a little centerpiece. I don't know what that's called. What's that thing called? Come on, you're all homeschoolers. Help me out here. Well, whatever that little thing is, right? So she, all she had was that. And she was out there, the little girl, and she was kind of like, oh, this thing is kind of ugly. You know, It's not what it was. And she went in and she said, Mom, I just want to give it to you. And the mom, in wisdom, pulled together all the pieces. And she said, darling, I'm so thankful that you gave me this flower because you love me. I just want to share some with you. How much more beautiful would it have been for both of us if you had given it all at once in the beginning? Lord, we have forsaken all to follow you. Maybe you're in a place where you've only given a piece. Maybe like the rich young ruler, you've gotten to a certain spot. But you know you still lack. I want to just encourage you real simply this morning. Give them all. Give them all. And whatever that means, it's fine. But if you have that thing in the back of your mind, if I give all, he's going to ask this of me. You might say... If I give him all, he's going to make me marry the ugliest person I could ever find. I know he will. You never think that. I know you don't. If I give him all, he's going to want me to sell everything I have. If I give him all, he's going to want me to share humbly about my past. If I give him all, what is it going to mean? Satan's really good at making those lies. I'll tell you what you get when you give them all. I'll tell you what you get. You get him. For we have forsaken all to follow you. This morning, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to die. I'm inviting you to die. For we serve a Christ who says to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and be with me. Be with me. Right? Are you willing to die this morning? Because if you are, guess what? Then you will take the heart after God and a careful lifestyle where you do not walk after the ways of the Lord and you'll marry them together in a way in which only God can do. And what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. That, brothers and sisters, that's real Christianity. That's the real deal. Are you hearing God's heart at least somewhere in this? Let's journey and humble ourselves together and turn and let's bow together. Let's bow together this morning. And if you're able, turn around in your seat and bow down as we go before God, humbling ourselves before our God. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we are here this morning. Father, as your children and God, we are, we are the sheep of your pasture. We are the fruit of your labors. God, we are your, we are your desire. Father, we, we realize this. Lord, we are so humbled by that. Why, Lord? Why would you be so desirous of people like us? How could we possibly be a crown and glory to you and an honor to what your Son has done on the cross? But, Lord, it is so. Father, we will not allow Satan in any way to steal that glory. If you say that us in this body here and those that are yours throughout the world this very day are your jewels, then we're not going to argue with you differently. Lord, your ways are certainly different than ours. But God, as you value us, Lord, as you have put your intention upon us, Lord, as you have laid your blood out for us through the reconciliation of the work of Jesus, we are here humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves afresh to you. Lord, we know, we know that we are going to travel this journey until you gather us home, either through the calling of all your saints at once, or Lord, one by one, as you as we lay down to rest here from this life and come to be with you. We don't know that answer, but you will gather your wheat into your barn. Father, we want to chase after you. We want to hunger and thirst after you. Lord, we pray for renewal, revival, and a clarity, especially first among our young people, Lord, that they will realize that you are both calling and asking them to submit. Lord, that you are asking for them to give their hearts to their leaders and at the same time to find their place in the shadow of your wing as well. Lord, and in that place they will exceed all expectations as they seek to please you. Father, we pray for us as adults. And Lord, we lose our way at times as we kind of categorize and box things in. Lord, we know that you are unmovable and the faith was once and for all delivered. But, God, we know the relationship piece is ever moving and calling us, Lord, close to your heart. As it maneuvers not through your changes, but through ours. And so, God, we submit ourselves to you again. Lord, we give ourselves in a fresh new way. And we ask for you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the word, through the reading of the word, through the hearing of the word, God, to make us new and wash us clean. Precious Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's blessing to you. Thank you. And I'll turn this time over to you, John.